How many of you still have Christmas presents to open and unwrap? Anybody wait? Some of you waited? Okay. Um, I'm guessing you'll be traveling, seeing family, um, maybe even extended family today for Christmas. Uh, it's always interesting leaving extended family, though, isn't it? Like, like you leave, you get in the car, and you just kind of, it's like a moment of silence, and you kind of debrief, and, and where you're just thinking, like, uh, I don't know, there's always, like, some interesting conversations, um, like, kids are asking, like, now, who was that person again? Are they always that crazy? You know, you're, you, you all have that, like, that relative that you have to, like, prepare your kids uh, to encounter on the holidays. Uh, and, and you leave sometimes, and you think, like, how in the world are we related to them? And, you know, when they leave, they're thinking the same thing about all of y'all. Like, how in the world are we related to those guys? And this is one of the reasons I find great contentment in the Christmas story. One of the aspects of the Christmas story that gives me great comfort is that every family has some suspect individuals. Uh, If you were here last night for our Christmas Eve service, we looked at how the main structure of the entire Old Testament is really just built around this one verse from Genesis 3, which contains a promise. It says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So if you look in the Old Testament, you really just see this is kind of the main idea. And then the rest of the Old Testament, I'm arguing, is that it's just, it's, a, it's an outline of that. Trying to find out who is this offspring that's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. In this verse, we see that God makes a promise that there was going to be a child who was coming from Adam and Eve who would crush the head and defeat the serpent. And so last night, we, we traced that family tree of Adam and Eve looking for the promised child. In case you weren't here, good news, we found him. Uh, it took several thousand years for this child to be found, but the search is over. He was found in a manger 2,000 years ago. And so this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus had to be the son of David, son of Abraham. So we're going to take a look at a long list of individuals that tied Jesus back to King David and to Abraham. So if you brought a Bible this morning, let's turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is the first of the four Gospels. It's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew and Luke's Gospels are the only two that contain the actual Christmas story. John's Gospel begins way before the Christmas story, uh, and Mark's Gospel begins with Jesus being a grown man. So let's read Matthew's account on the Christmas story found in chapter 1. And and as you just kind of look down, you'll see it just begins with just a list of names. So just pray for me as I have PTSD from the book of Nehemiah when we have all these names that none of us know how to pronounce. So let's journey through this together. Verse 1 says, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Abinadab, Abinadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. I need some water by the, at this point. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerome. 
and Jerom, the father of uh, Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, Amos, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation or exile to Babylon. Paul's take a breath. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of uh, Abed, and Abed, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azer, and Azer, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Whew. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the, to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he had considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived is in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he, he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, as we look to your um, um, coming as a baby, we're just in awe that, um, uh, that you would do this for us. Uh, one, we're shocked that um, you would have to do this for us because we can't care for ourselves. Uh, and so, Lord, we're just overwhelmed by your kindness um, that, that you came and gave your life for us. So, Lord, help us to uh, be encouraged this morning of why we celebrate Christmas. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, from the very beginning of his gospel, Matthew makes it clear that Jesus is king. That's kind of his aim here, that, that there's one coming from the line of King David. He is this Messiah, this promised one from the line of Abraham. And then in descending order, Matthew begins to trace this lineage of Jesus um, from Abraham. The genealogy in Matthew 1, it's a bit different. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, from Luke's genealogy in Luke chapter 3 which, you know, has led some people to, to argue that this is contradiction. Like there's, you know, there's these errors in the Bible. See, you can't trust the Bible. Matthew 1, Luke 3, they, you know, even these guys messed this up. It's not a contradiction um, in these two genealogies. The probable solution is that Luke is giving Mary's lineage and Matthew is giving Joseph's. And so they just have um, these two accounts of where they're coming from. So both Mary and Joseph lineage can be traced back to King David. Um, and then you'll still some would argue, yeah, but Joseph wasn't even his dad. So why would Matthew list Joseph's lineage? I think the answer to this is absolutely beautiful. The reason Joseph is listed is because he adopted Jesus as a son. 
adoption in a Jewish culture, it, it, it's, um, it's legally binding that Jesus would receive the very rights of his adopted father. You even see this in King David's life, um, how he adopted and, and, um, uh, and that son became, you know, had the same rights as, as other children. So this list of names that Matthew gives, it's not a comprehensive list, meaning that not every descendant in this, in this family tree is included in this list. This genealogy is specifically arranged in groups of 14. Matthew makes note of that. In verse 17, he says, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. It's possible, or even likely, that Matthew has arranged his genealogy this way to make sure that us, the readers, that we connect the lineage Um, back to King David's Hebrew name. So certain Jewish writings would practice something called gematria. All of you have done this at some point. If you're a school teacher, you've taken many notes, deciphered this way. Gematria, it's a system of assigning numerical value to certain words based on the corresponding letters of an alphabet. So, you know, A is 1, B is 2, C is 3. You guys have all made these kind of codes uh, and you see this in a lot of, um, like in the, some of the Psalms, you see kind of this structure. So when you add up the numerical value of David's name, so in, in Hebrew, it's just three characters. There's no really vowels. So D, V, D. When you add up that, you get a total of 153. I'm kidding. That's a joke from last week's passage about the fish. If you add up the value of the name, you actually get 14. So there's this play here on 14. David's name is the 14th, if you were counting, in Matthew's list. Clearly, Matthew is intending for us to connect Jesus to King David. There's something going on there between the two. Matthew's gospel begins with this connection to David and Abraham. But why does, why does Matthew pick these two men? Why David? Why Abraham? Well, let's spend some time thinking about this. First... With David, the Jews knew that the Messiah should come from the family of David. Um, in 2 Samuel 7, God makes a promise, a, a covenant with David that his kingly line would be established forever and ever. 2 Samuel 7 says this, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God's making some promises here. He makes two covenants with David in this passage. First, that David's son will build a house for the Lord. And second, that he will establish his throne forever. Uh, I want us to look just at the second one, the second covenant this morning. The first, we see that you know David wanted to build a house. God said, no, not you. It's going to be your son. Solomon built this immaculate temple. But there's the second promise here that David was promised that the kingdom, his offspring, would be established forever. The promise had an immediate reference referring to Solomon. Solomon was a king, great king, um, most of the time, half the time, maybe some of the time. Uh, But Solomon's kingdom, it would end. Solomon would die, and then Rehoboam, his son, would become the next king. But guess what? He would die too. And just as Matthew's genealogy mentions, there comes a period in Israel's history where they are exiled. The Jews um, were exiled in Babylon, which meant that David's throne would sit empty. 
which meant that God was not able to keep the covenant that he made to David in 2 Samuel 7. That is, unless the next king of Israel could prove that they were descendants of the king of David, which is why Matthew begins with this genealogy. So, you know, there's a period, you know, almost a thousand years, where the Jews didn't have a king from the line of David sitting on the throne. And even King Herod, who's the king at this time, as we're reading in Matthew's gospel, he's not from the line of David. So he's not a true king. So he's not fulfilling 2 Samuel 7. But Matthew's showing that Jesus is that man. Not only was he the Messiah um, that was supposed to be this descendant from David, God had continued to drop like other hints all throughout um, the Old Testament about the coming Christ, like things that he was supposed to be. And so here are some things from the prophets. So he's supposed to be from the line of David, but he's also supposed to fulfill these things. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, this is a common passage we hear at Christmas time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. A little later, Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 3 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. You remember Jesse was father of David. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Then if you drop down to verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Jeremiah 23, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. So you already see this connection, this, this root of Jesse. Now we have this branch from David. He shall reign as king and deal wisely. And shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he, he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Ezekiel 37, verse 24. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And, and David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. In every one of these passages, there's this assumption that God's promise, it's continuing. It, it's 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 moving on from generation to generation. The amazing thing about this Ezekiel passage is when Ezekiel's writing all of this, God's people were in exile. They weren't even in the land that he's promising at that time that they would dwell in there forever. Solomon's temple had been destroyed, and yet Ezekiel still speaks as David being king. But David had been dead at this point for many, many years. These passages are talking about a David-type figure, not David himself, whose kingdom would be established forever. And so this is pointing us to Christ being this fulfillment. 
And so not only was Jesus the son of David, Matthew also mentions he's a son of Abraham. So why Abraham? There's at least two reasons. First, Abraham was the one through whom God promised blessing that would come to all nations. God will form a covenant people. God would make Israel into a great nation. In Genesis 17, verse 6, God says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. That's pretty cool to think that, you know, if someone told me, like, hey, one day your kids are going to, you know, your child from your family line would become president of the United States. That, wow, that's pretty cool. So kings are coming from Abraham. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So through Abraham's lineage, God says he's going to send a king. Then a little later in the same chapter, God says to Sarah, verse 16, I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. So this is a very important family that God is establishing here. The bloodline of Abraham would consist of kings of Israel who don't even currently exist. There are no kings right now in Abraham's time. So he may have even said, no, what's a, what's a king? So a little later in Genesis 49, verse 10, Jacob prophesies that the scepter would, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until the tribute comes to him, and to him shall the obedience of the people. So God continues to protect his royal bloodline. He's preserving this family. To, there's going to be this king. And then the second reason Jesus connected Abraham is because Abraham fathered Isaac. You remember this story? Isaac was the miracle baby born to a mom named Sarah who was shocked to find out that she would have a child. Remember, she was old and barren, couldn't have children. And then she has this child, this miracle child. So there's a connection between Sarah and Mary. Um, very much like Mary's thinking, like, how can I have a child? This child is, is in a very similar way to being like Isaac. History revolves around a king who would come, a king who has now come, Jesus the Christ. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is the center of all things. He is the one. History has changed because of him. Even our calendar reflects this. It's 2022. Well, there's been many more years than that. Why 2022? Because we keep track of time because of this important day for us that Christ came, lived, died. So now we've established that, that first part of Matthew's um, gospel, that it's important that Jesus being from this bloodline of David and Abraham. I want us just to slow down and look for a moment at I want us to think about the names in Jesus' family tree. I just want this to encourage you about your family. So if you look at this list, it's pretty cool. There's some, there's some ladies. Do you see this? Um, there's some ladies mentioned, which is rare to see ladies mentioned in the genealogy. We talked about that last night. It's not that women aren't important. It's just that we're trying to find, there's a baby boy that we're all in search for. But here, our genealogy, it, it, it it's unique. It has some ladies listed. So let's look at this. Tamar is the first woman mentioned in the list. According to Genesis 38, Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. And it was in sinful incest that led to the birth of the twins mentioned in verse 3, Perez and Zerah. The second woman mentioned is Rahab. 
in verse 5. Rahab is a prostitute who was spared when the people of God came into the promised land. You remember that story where she was in Jericho and she helped the spies and they promised that they would, you know, God would keep her. Ruth is the third woman mentioned. She was a Moabite, a Gentile. She's not even Jew. A, a people known for their sexual morality. And then in the second set of 14, we see the fourth woman mentioned. Not by name, but at least mentioned. She was the wife of Uriah. That's how she's listed here. Her name is Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was brought into this bloodline through adultery and murder. Then picking up with Solomon, Matthew's list, um, he, he lists these kings of Israel leading up to the time of exile. A few of these kings honored the Lord, but most of them, they were evil and wicked, did um, despicable things, uh, who led the people of God into sin and idolatry. This is not the most upright list that you were going to pick from. You know, when we think of like some of the names throughout our country, so some names that carry weight, significance, you know, this, this doesn't seem like this would be a very you know, good name uh, to come from. Um, you keep reading, this eventually led to the destruction of Jerusalem, to the exile of Babylon, and this ends the second set of 14 generations. Then you have the, four, the third set of 14 generations in verses 12 through 16. Matthew traces Jesus' genealogy from the, the exile of Babylon to the birth of Jesus. You, you, you have in this list that you're looking at right now, incest, murder, Adultery, prostitution. And those are just the ones that we know of. You know, we, we don't have everything that these men and women have ever done. This is the bloodline of Jesus. You just let that set in for a moment. Maybe this brings you great comfort about your own family. All in all, this is one messed up family tree. And yet, this was the family tree that God chose to have his perfect sinless son come through. This shows us that God can use anyone, that your past does not limit what God can do with your life. The second half of chapter one, we see the miracle of the birth of Christ. Mary, who had not been with a man, was now with child. We see in verse 18 that she was betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal was something um, probably similar to what we call engagement. But betrothal was way more serious in Jewish culture than what our engagement would be today. And we see this if you just look down at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. Notice how they were betrothed in verse 18. But now in verse 19, Joseph is called her husband. And if he wants to get rid of her, he would have to divorce her. Now, uh, some of you, you know, people who maybe were engaged and the engagement was broken off. They didn't have to go through, you know, any kind of legal procedure. You can just end um, an engagement. But Joseph had every legal right to divorce Mary. But in verse 20, an angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So this shows us Jesus is unique. He is fully God, conceived from the Holy Spirit, fully man, born of a woman. There's a uniqueness to him. He's not like, he's similar to these other men, like David and Abraham, but he's very, very, very different. He's unique. And then in verse 21, we see the purpose or reason why Jesus had to come. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. This is why he had to come. It wasn't so that we could you know, have another holiday to celebrate. It wasn't to help the marketing campaigns of all the businesses that start Christmas now and when in like August. It's insane. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Um, so what does this tell us about mankind? It tells us that we're all sinners. We're, we're not morally neutral bent. Um, we, we are sinners. We are depraved. Romans Chapter 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. No one does good, not even one. This is, you know, the whole Christmas, you know, it can be confusing for kids because it's getting gifts and, you know, um, you know if, if you're naughty, you don't get any gifts. Uh, well, if that's the case, you know, we, it would be a very empty Christmas every year because none of us do good, not even one. This is universal. This is for all ethnic groups, um, which informs why we should do missions. Um, you know, this month we're praying for Tajikistan um, as our church. And so we're praying for them because even the people of Tajikistan, they, they um, have turned away from God. That there is none good. This is for all socioeconomic groups. Sin does not care if you're rich or poor, black or white, male or female, young or old. All mankind is born as a slave to sin, but Jesus came to set the captive free. This is why he came. He came as a savior to save his people from their sin. He is Emmanuel, God with us. It's an amazing thing. God dwells with mankind. I wish I woke up every day thinking about that truth. Now, Lord, I'm getting up today and you're with me. He's Emmanuel. And now his Holy Spirit has given us a new birth so we can experience adoption as sons and daughters. So just as Joseph adopted Jesus in and passed on his rights, Galatians 4 says something about us. It says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent uh, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So we receive his righteousness. So live. Live as someone who is free, no longer captive to your sin. God has redeemed you. He's purchased you. He has set you free. He's given you a new life. This is the heart of the Christmas story. So as you're traveling with your family today, as you're opening up presents, remind others about the real gift this Christmas season. 
that Jesus would give his life so that we could be saved from our sins. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, as we uh, just looked at this passage, uh, Lord, may we be overwhelmed of your faithfulness to your promise, that you've never broken one promise to us, that you are faithful. And so, Lord, as we continue to sing this morning, may the truths of these songs, may they just encourage our souls of what you've done, that you've come, uh, lived a perfect life, died in our place because we were not good that you required perfection, and that Jesus lived a perfect life, and his perfect life um, was an atonement for our imperfect life. And so, Lord, may we just um, marvel at what you've done for us, that we stand in awe, that you would come, that you would humble yourself to take on flesh, to live nine months in the womb of Mary, to be born as a baby, needing Mary to feed and dress and care for the creator of the universe, that you would humble yourself to that and then even humble yourself to the point of death, death on a cross. So Lord, we this morning want to lift your name high, exalt your name, because it's the name above all other names. Lord, we thank you for coming, for dying for us, so that we may have life, we have peace with God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.